Hey friends, I hope you're all staying as safe and healthy and comfortable as possible, and that you're taking care of all the people and pets and plants that are important to you. This week, my 11th self-published novel, Jade Suede, will have been available for purchase for one month. Jade Suede is the story of a teen sex worker who was hired by a loan shark to seduce and kill deadbeat debtors. Jade Suede is definitely the most sexually and violently graphic story I've ever written, and I realize that may mean it's not for everybody. Regardless, you can find and read a detailed summary of the story, as well as the book's first four chapters at Amazon, and you can decide for yourself if Jade Suede is right for you. Folks, my name is Andy Mascola. I'm the host of this podcast called People Are the Enemy. There are no ads on this show, and there is no Patreon set up for it. The only thing I've ever asked of listeners is if you love this program, and if you'd like to help support it and myself monetarily, and get yourself or the reader in your life some exciting fiction, please consider purchasing any or all of my 11 novels. I write stories in a variety of genres, so whether you're into suspense, horror, comedy, or literary fiction, I'm sure I've got something that suits your taste. And all my books are comparatively inexpensive. My novels are available in ebook format worldwide at both Amazon and Google Play for between $1.99 and $2.99 US or the equivalent, and in paperback via Amazon worldwide for just $9 US or the equivalent. If you've already purchased any or all of my books, thank you, thank you, thank you. I sincerely appreciate your generous patronage. And with all that out of the way, here's the quirky theme song. Hello, People Are the Enemy listeners. This is episode 302 of the People Are the Enemy podcast. Thank you so much for checking it out. Thank you for spending time with me. I hope everything's going okay in your world. And I hope you're ready for some fun, because we're going to have some today. What do you mean? Sing it, Iggy. Tell me about it. You don't say... No fun to hang around. Feeling that same old way. Mm-hmm. No fun to hang around. Out. How's that? For another Ooh. I've been listening to a lot of the Stooges. I love this stuff. No fun yeah. Tell me about it. No fun. Okay. But I want to have fun. Are you sure? With nobody else. This is my favorite part right here. Are you ready for it? Here it comes, guys. Sing along. Well, Make the stay home. 
Maybe call mom on the telephone Well, come on Come on Come on Come on Alright, let's take it down Gently Don't say the gee down too hard He's frail The man is up there now He's up there. How old is Iggy Pop now? Is he in his 70s? He must be. He must be close, right? I tried listening to that last Stooges album, The Weirdness. Oofa. I'd never listened to it for whatever reason. I mean, their first three albums are like... They're all masterpieces. They're incredible. Raw Power. The self-titled album. That's what that last song was from. No fun, if you didn't know. And uh, the Stooges... Uh, Probably most well-regarded album in terms of, like, celebrity appreciation, which is Funhouse. I've heard more than, like, one, one person, one notable celebrity say it's, like, their favorite album of all time. It's very good. And then, they, you know, there was a long period of, of, uh, of Iggy Pop doing his solo thing, and then they, they regrouped, the band regrouped, and they got uh, Steve Albini to produce this album called The Weirdness. It was appropriate name named because uh, it's it's weird. <laughs> is it good? It's notice it's not called the goodness <laughs> or the greatness. No, the weirdness is an appropriate name for that album, and I don't care for it. And uh, it, it it was very polarizing. I think a lot of people were very expectant. They had high expectations for a wonderful Stooges reunion, and. Uh, I blame Iggy, Iggy Pop, I do. And I'm not saying Iggy Pop is not capable of great things in the present. His, his most current album was, was quite good. But yeah, that album, The Weirdness, I don't know if he was just goofing around or having, like, I don't know. He was, the lyrics were odd, cryptically, you might even say, like, cryptically racist, even? <laughs> you know, maybe not even cryptically racist, but it was like, oh man, where are you coming from with this, Iggy? The instrumentation was great, though. And, of course, the production was amazing because Steve Albini is incredible. What a great producer. Uh, how you doing out there? How's everything been? It's good to be with you. It's good to, uh, good to talk with you. I had, uh, I had lunch with a couple friends from out of state yesterday, and I'd had my dog with me. So what we did was we got sandwiches from this popular sandwich joint in my city, and we picked them up and got them to go. And I'd had the dog. Obviously, I couldn't bring the dog in the car. I mean, couldn't bring in the dog in the restaurant, rather. So we had to do the uh, the pickup. And we went to this little park. And uh, we're eating outside on these benches. And suddenly, Lola, my dog, she basically stands at attention. And she can't be distracted at all. She's looking across the street, this busy street, that bordered the park that we were in. And her tail was wagging like crazy. And she's watching this, looks like a family. Like a guy, and a woman, and another woman, and a baby carriage. And we're like, what is going on? And I thought to myself, like, they don't have a dog. Like, what is my dog so interested in with these people? And these people were like, you know, 150 feet away, at least, on this, the other side of the street. And uh, we couldn't figure it out. I was like, you know, Lola, do you know them? Obviously, she couldn't answer. But, uh, but yeah, it was odd. And then my friend said, hey, we're going to head out. And we took some photos, and I hugged them, and they, they headed on the, out on their way because they're doing other things while they're in town. And all of a sudden, I was getting ready to go myself, 
And there's Lola again, standing straight up, looking at these people. And these people that had walked up the street must have crossed at the top of the street and were now coming down on our side of the street. So basically, and they were walking through the park. And again, Lola was would not be distracted. She was basically, you know, standing stone still, staring, tail wagging, so excited, doing that little thing, kind of going from foot to foot, you know. And then I looked at these people and they were, as they were coming up to me and I said, I don't know why my dog is so interested in you folks, but she was staring at you across the street. And, and while I was saying this, they were smiling and uh, laughing a little bit. And I looked at the woman and I realized, <laughs> I realized why Lola was so intent on, on, and fixated on these people. It's because this woman looked just like my wife. <laughs> She had, she had like the same hairstyle. My wife has very, very tight, curly hair uh, that comes down to about her shoulders. And this woman had like the exact same hair, literally styled the same and the same length and the same texture, same color, everything. And I said, oh my gosh, I said, I know what, I know what my, what's happening. My dog, and I looked at the woman, I said, my dog thinks you're my wife. And they had a great laugh over this. It's kind of fun. Um, speaking of having a great laugh over things, I've got some clips to play for you, but first... Thank you, Bloodhound Gang. Yeah, I had some things I wanted to play for you. Um, I'd been enjoying these trailers from... 60s and 70s grindhouse films, these exploitation films. They're kind of fascinating. For one thing, they're they're interesting because, you know, it's like a, it's almost like a carnival barker. A lot of that kind of like come see the the horribleness of the world or you know whatever, trying to obviously engage like young people who were probably the uh, primary moviegoers in those times, meaning the 60s and 70s, and grindhouse films were shown at, like, little tiny theaters and, uh, obviously drive-in theaters back in the day. And one thing I noticed was, like, there's a lot of that, like, the, the Carnival Barker kind of person on these, uh, trailers, but also these trailers were really long. And this is just a portion of one trailer. I didn't want to play an entire, like, five-minute trailer for you. I thought that would be a little, little, little much... But I found this trailer for this 1967 film called Teenage Mother. <laughs> and I only wanted to play uh, the last, uh, last just under a minute of it, because I thought you'd get a kick out of it. And the, the guy, listen very carefully to, the, to the, the, basically, the narrator of this trailer, because I don't know where they got this guy, but I have a very distinct picture of this man in my head, and, and maybe you will too. Take a listen. This is a Trailer for a 1967 Grindhouse film called Teenage Mother. Here it is. Teenage Mother means nine months of trouble. You will follow this girl as she gets into trouble. Finally learns the real facts of life which her parents never explained to her. In addition to the film, there will be a brief lecture on how to use our bodies. Every parent should bring their child. It explains what you can't in language that everybody can understand. We'll learn about the nervous system, muscles, glands, and organs, and how they all function separately and relatedly. Sexual attraction, procreation, reproduction, and finally birth will all be included in this course. 
In essence, this is a course of study for young adults. You'll see them in car and cinemascope. Teenage mother means nine months of trouble. <laughs> like, where did they get that guy? Who was that guy? It sounds like he might have just been like, Hey, Frank, would you mind coming over here? I know you're in the middle of your lunch, but in between bites of that pastrami sandwich. <laughs> would you mind narrating this trailer for us? Teenage mother means nine months of trouble. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So funny. There'll be a short film, short film following, following the movie in which we learn to use our bodies. I got such a kick out of that. Teenage Mother, if you're interested, you can watch the whole trailer. I don't know if you really want to, though. It's uh, It does not look good, but it's definitely, if you're looking for something so bad it may be hilarious, then that may be what you're looking for. Okay, there's another clip I wanted to play for you, and you may know this clip. I saw it, I first saw it on TikTok, and it's been viewed at, at by this point, 10.6 million times. And I also saw it floating around on Twitter or what is now called X or whatever the hell you want to call it. So it, it's made the rounds on social media quite a bit. And what this is, is a Pakistani gentleman uh, imitating what he thinks Americans sound like. And as an American, I thought this was fascinating. And I, I'd heard this sort of thing before. I remember, of all people, Sarah Silverman on her podcast once talking about how uh, foreigners... Uh, describe Americans as sounding like they're saying Charla Barla Charla Barla. <laughs> but this is an actual uh, Pakistani speaking gentleman imitating what he thinks an American sounds like. It's a short clip and I thought we'd get a kick out of it. And if you've heard it, again, I hope you enjoy hearing it in another, another time. But here it is. Check this out. <laughs> Do you like that? The only word I got out of that was 35. <laughs> That's, I'm, sure. I'm sure he's just imitating sounds, but yeah, it sounded like he said 35. That was posted by uh, somebody that calls themselves... Uh, Meta B, M E T I B E E, on TikTok, if you're looking for it. And again, it's been viewed a, a ton of times. And uh, there was one last clip I wanted to play for you today that I got a kick out of. This is uh, Liam. I love, I love a cranky British person. <laughs> like, I don't know why that makes me happy. Especially British musicians, like cranky British musicians, kind of make me happy. I think it's probably probably has something to do with like being exposed to like the Sex Pistols when I was a teenager, and like how angry Johnny Rotten, aka John Lydon, was uh, with the world and uh, the state of everything at that point, and continues to seemingly be. But yeah, this is not uh, John Lydon, John Rotten. This is Liam Gallagher, the lead singer, one of the one of the two brothers in the band Oasis, uh, complaining about McDonald's and uh, Uber Eats. And uh, you'll, you'll have to forgive me. I, Of course, I, I, I've ordered food like to, to be delivered, but it's only ever been pizza. I've never used like an app, but I believe Uber Eats. And uh, forgive me for sounding so ignorant on, on this, but it's not something I do at all. So uh, I'm pretty sure that Uber Eats is a service where you can have food delivered. But uh, this is Liam Gallagher explaining his problem with ordering McDonald's via Uber Eats to an interviewer. Check this out. I'll tell you what gets on my uh, Go for it. thing is yeah. Uber Eats, <laughs> McDonald's, 
So when you're hungover, I don't really eat a lot of McDonald's. The only time I do do it is when I've had a bit of a night and I'm thinking, oh, we'll just get that Uber Eats in. So you get all your drinks in and you get all your food in and they come and they don't have straws. <laughs> you know what I mean? So you're sitting there, how am I going to get that milkshake down my neck without a straw? Do you send them back for the straw? No, no, I should do, though. Hang on, are you, are you ordering McDonald's delivery? Yeah, you're not getting that? Yeah, I've just never thought about doing a McDonald's delivery. I'm not going to go out and get it. I get mobbed in it when I go to McDonald's, man. You know what I mean? Fair point. Do you know what I mean? So you I'm just getting delivered, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a hard work out there for me these days. Does the person come around to your house and be like, oh, hi, Liam Gallagher. Like the McDonald's? Yeah. He does, yeah. He does come around with his helmet on, and I'm like, ah, where's the straws, mate? And he's like, ah, oh, oh, I don't know. I'm like, ah. Again, a cranky Liam Gallagher complaining about getting McDonald's via Uber Eats and not getting a straw with the meal. <laughs> Again, I don't know. Uh, I don't know what my fascination is with uh, angry Brits, and I don't know if it's limited just to fellas. I'll have to. I have to look around. It's. I, I, I'm hard pressed to to off the top of my head think of one woman that uh, when British woman uh who is particularly angry unless you know you're you're delving into obviously british politics <laughs> you can probably find more than a couple of women uh that are uh vociferously angry about something happening in the world somewhere but uh but as far as popular culture or as far as angry ladies in rock who are of uh, british descent I, i'm hard-pressed to find one but i imagine i'd be equally fascinated if you can think of any, let me know. If you find any clips of angry Brits, uh, particularly angry British rockers, send them my way. I love to hear them. And that's about all I've got for you folks today. And I'm going to hand things off to our friend Rachel from Des Moines. And she is going to give you the char chat. So, without any further ado, take it away, Rachel. Thanks, Andy. Hello, and welcome back to Rachel's Chart Chat for another week. Thanks to everyone who listened last week, and especially those who sent nice comments like Mary, Tavy, Jill, Jeffrey, Sherry, Evan, and Melinda. I greatly enjoyed hearing about the songs people had to sing as kids, whether cowboy or a freedom rock selection. My only contribution is the non-Coca-Cola version of I'd Like to Teach the World to Sing, which was easily 15 years after the ad had stopped airing. Also, where I grew up, we learned a lot of Norwegian folk songs phonetically, and to a native speaker, I'm sure we sounded like the Bulgarian reality show contestant singing Nilsson's Without You as Ken Lee. For this week's segment, I'm going to continue with Freedom Rock tracks in order of their success on the Billboard Hot 100. Thanks for going along on this mini-series with me. Reaching a peak of number 21 on April 24th of 1971 is 18 by Alice Cooper. This is the third single released but for the group, but the first to chart. It appears on Alice Cooper's major label debut, Love It to Death. The high school band of one Vincent Fernier formed in 1964 and went through a few lineup and name changes before coming up with the Alice Cooper name and gimmick in 1968. They made two records for Frank Zappa's boutique label, then worked with producer Bob Ezrin for the third, which was Love It to Death. Ezrin got them to whittle down 18 from an 8-minute jam to a 3-minute single. After four more albums together, Alice Cooper, the frontman, went solo and legally changed his name. So I feel he is partially to blame for people thinking there is a guy named Jethro Tull or Pablo Cruz in those bands. I think this song fits in well on the collection. Uh, it speaks to young people not only at that time, but I'd say to anyone who reaches that age. And this was memorably covered by guidance counselor Mr. Rosso on TV's Freaks and Geeks. 
Uh, also hitting number 21 on November 17th of 73, We May Never Pass This Way, in parentheses again, by Seals and Crofts. When I hear this song, it feels like it would make high school grads very emotional to hear it, a la Vitamin C's Graduation Friends Forever. We May Never was the second single off of the fifth studio album, Diamond Girl. It was a number two hit on the U.S. and Canadian adult contemporary charts. Uh, the song was released in September of 73, but I feel like if they had put it out in April, I'm almost sure it would have done better for that, that graduation crowd. By contrast, Summer Breeze and Diamond Girl both hit number six. This is another one like Elton John's Friends I don't remember hearing on the radio, despite uh, knowing other Seals and Crofts tunes. Hitting a peak of number 19, you know it, you love or hate it, you shout it out at concerts, Freebird. It reached its peak on January 25th of 75, although the song originally appeared on Skinnerd's 1973 debut, pronounced Leonard Skinnerd, complete with the phonetic pronunciation marks, but it wasn't released as a single until late 74 after their second album had come out and produced a major chart hit in Sweet Home Alabama. Freedom Rock has the single edit at 4 minutes and 41 seconds, but the album version was 9 minutes and 8 seconds. There's also a very well-known live version from 1976's One More for the, From the Road, where Ronnie Van Zant literally asked, what song is it you want to hear? Unintentionally giving generations of doofus concert goers to come the impetus to scream Freebird at any given quiet moment at a show. Oddly enough, my friend Andy Sturdivant once researched what song people used to yell out at concerts before Freebird, and it was the Allman Brothers song Whipping Post. Reaching a peak of number 13 on July 4th of 1970, which we know was the first uh, American Top 40 show, is United We Stand by The Brotherhood of Man. Brotherhood of Man was a British pop group consisting at this time of three men and two women. I feel like from the song title and band name alone, this fits in well on Freedom Rock. Uh, I feel like it starts out as an ordinary guy-girl love song duet, but when they get to the chorus, it gets pretty intense. This was the group's biggest hit in the U.S., although they had one other top 40 appearance with Save Your Kisses For Me, which was the winning song for Eurovision in 1976. That was the third out of five times that the U.K. have won Eurovision. United We Stand hit number 10 in the U.K., and they also had three number ones at home. And I learned that Elton John, then still known as Reg Dwight, sang on the demo. Uh, he was working uh, at the publishing house where the songwriter of this tune worked. Reaching a peak of number 11 on January 25th of 1969 is Going Up the Country by Canned Heat. They were an American group from L.A. It's basically like big-time blues guys. The song feels like a must-have for the Freedom Rock compilation. I'm glad they got the rights. Canned Heat not only played at Woodstock, but Going Up the Country was used as the theme from the Woodstock documentary, and it was later used in a 1994 Pepsi ad spoofing the hippies turned yuppies returning to Yasger's farm for the 25th anniversary of the show. According to Wikipedia, the song was based on Texas blues man Henry Thomas's 1928 tune Bulldoze Blues, but with rewritten lyrics. Thomas used an, a pan-pipe-like instrument called the quills on his version, which Canned Heat retained but on, and played on the flute. The lyrics reference the back-to-the-land movement, but may also be interpreted as moving to Canada to evade the draft. Also in Canada, reaching a peak of number 10 is Share the Land by the Guess Who, uh, that had its peak on December 5th of 1970. Uh, this has been covered on a previous chart chat. Check out People of the Enemy 255. This is the second single off of the group's fifth album, and I love the lyrics on this one. It's very positive, and it's got great vocal harmonies. I think it's a perfect fit for the comp. Uh, this is a number two hit in Canada. The guests who were from Winnipeg, Manitoba, and Manitoba is one of the prairie provinces known for wheat growing, and two Guess Who albums have wheat in the title. 
Wheatfield Soul, and Canned Wheat. Everything is connected. Reaching a peak of number 10 on June 22nd of 1968 is a song called Reach Out of the Darkness by a group called Friend and Lover, not to be confused with Carl Anderson and Gloria Loring's 1986 duet Friends and Lovers. Friend and Lover is the name of the act. They were an American folk duo consisting of Jim and Kathy Post. Jim was from Houston and Kathy came from Chicago. According to Wikipedia, Jim wrote the song inspired by a love-in in New York City. The song's Wikipedia page also mentions a wild mythology of it charting regionally after certain events of 1967 and 68, but this was debunked by a post himself at the 40th anniversary Summer of Love concert in Golden Gate Park in 2007. Chart research also bears this out, or I guess does not bear out the theory. This seems like a really good fit for the compilation. It reminds me of that meme, reach within your local blank and you may find a friend and boy, with people that have like little animals and frogs and stuff. Uh, I learned that this appeared in a Beverly Hills 90210 episode called Time Has Come Today, so you know how that had to be wild. Also reaching a peak of number 10 is Layla by the group Derek and the Dominoes on August 5th, 1972. So that's, of course, the song that kicked off the ad, and as well as the second Freedom Rock song from the Goodfellas soundtrack. This was the sole studio album credited to Derek and the Dominoes, called Layla and Other Assorted Love Songs. The album version was 7 minutes and 4 seconds, which is what is included on the compilation, but there was also a 2 minute and 42 single edit, and I'm so curious what got cut. I have a fond memory of Julie Klausner singing Layla to the piano outro on an episode of How Was Your Week? And I recently learned of some shenanigans with the songwriting credit on this. Rita Coolidge is said to have written or co-written the piano outro coda, but she got no credit on this. People maybe around my age may also be familiar with that weird slow cover off of the Eric Clapton Unplugged in 92. I remember liking it as a kid, but I could not go back after hearing the original. Uh, reaching a peak of number eight on July 29th, 1967 is White Rabbit by Jefferson Airplane. In researching this song, I learned that not only did singer Grace Slick write it, she wrote it when she was in her previous band, Great Society, and performed it live with them. And at that time, Jefferson Airplane had a different lead singer, just for their first album, Signe Tolley Anderson. White Rabbit appeared on their second album, Surrealistic Pillow, and it was the third single from that one. Slick cites influences such as Alice in Wonderland and Through the Looking Glass, Ravel's Bolero, and Miles Davis's album Sketches of Spain. This was the second Jefferson Airplane single to chart and one of two top 40 hits for the band under that name. This is a definite fit for Freedom Rock as it is so associated with the era and trippiness and of course uh, Jefferson Airplane also played at Woodstock. Also reaching a peak of number 8 on December 21st, 1968 is Both Sides Now by Judy Collins. This song was written by Joni Mitchell and she performed it live in 66. Then Judy Collins put it on her sixth album, Wildflower, in 1967, with the single being released in October of 68. Then Joni Mitchell included the song on her album Clouds in 1969, although with a comma in the title, both sides comma now. Mitchell cites the inspiration as a novel called Henderson the Rain King, which she was reading on a flight, and the protagonist was also on an airplane flight, and he looked down and saw clouds from above, and Joni Mitchell also did the same, so she was that's kind of what kicked off her writing this song. Uh, the Wikipedia page cites a bio on Joni Mitchell that says she didn't like the Judy Collins version despite the boost it gave to her career. It doesn't say why, although I guess she's you know, within her rights. I don't know this is necessarily a good fit on the compilation, but it's nice to have another song from a female artist. And I did confirm that uh, 
you know, Prince is known to be a pretty big Joni Mitchell guy. And when he wrote uh, Ice Cream Castles for the time, that was inspired by the line from this song. Well, that's all from me this week. Uh, I want to say thank you to anyone who tuned in because they heard me on the Transporter episode of the podcast Fed Talks. I hope you stick around. Uh, So back to you, Andy. Thank you, Rachel. I am digging this Freedom Rock coverage. Hope you guys are, too. This has been episode 302 of the People Are the Enemy podcast. Our theme song is Walrus Love by Nokia Ocean. You can find that song and more at pizzapuppies.bandcamp.com. My name is Andy Mascola. You can purchase my novels via Amazon and other online book retailers in both paperback and ebook formats for as little as $1.99. Thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you, Rachel from Des Moines. We love you. Peace.